there is all it takes And I'm spiraling out of control again Oh, so fast Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment Featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Joining me today on location in the Florida Panhandle at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival, my guest is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist who just put out a new single last month after having also released a new song in May, plus she has a new EP coming soon. She is a regular performer at the famed Bluebird Cafe in Nashville and has shared the stage with the late Charlie Daniels, opened for The Chicks, and performed on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. One of her songs on Spotify alone has been streamed more than two and a half million times, and her new music video has approximately 11,000 views on YouTube in just its first month. She has written hundreds of songs in her career, including doing so for other artists as well. We've been hearing a song of hers called Collateral. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment and Buckle. Thanks for having me, Bruce. You bet. You bet. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. Thank you for taking time away from the festival to sit with me. Let's get started by having you share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Collateral, which, folks, is the new single that I referred to in the intro that just came out last month. Yeah, Collateral is a song that I wrote with a friend of mine, Brett Boyette, who also was the co-writer on a song of mine, Moonrise, which you mentioned had two and a half million streams. So this is the first song we put out together since Moonrise, which is pretty fun. And Brett and I wrote Collateral back when he was living in L.A. years ago. So Mm. it's an older song, actually, in terms of songwriting years. Um, And it's a song that just kind of came to me on my drive over to his studio in L.A. traffic. Um, I had a little bit of relationship drama you could say at the time and the first line of the song is one little trigger is all that it takes and I'm spiraling out of control again and um that line just kind of hit me when there was something that triggered an emotion and I thought I think I want to write this kind of angsty breakup song today about how (laughs) sometimes when people make choices you end up being collateral damage so I don't want to minimize it but just the two of you wrote that? Yes, just the okay, two of us. there wasn't a third writer just that you... Just the two of us. Yeah, just the two of us. <laughs> um, I'm curious because you said, you know, the other song is the one that had all the streams. So as unlikely as it is, does that play into your head and you go, oh, he and I had success last time. Maybe this one. And, and you can't do that to yourself, but I imagine right. it's kind no, of a it def- I definitely did that. And I kind of thought maybe Brett has the magic touch and melody or in lyric. And um, to be totally honest, I think so much of whether a song hits or not is just luck and random. <laughs> um, but I definitely had that thought of maybe this one will hit again like Moonrise. But yeah. So far, not not there yet. And so many guests <laughs> have come on the show, and it's just so consistent. The message always is, you know, it's the song that you think is going to really be the one that really doesn't do much of anything. And yeah. it's the song that was just kind of an afterthought, and you didn't really have any big plans for it, that all of a sudden ends up being this terrific hit. And what's crazy about Moonrise um, is that... 
it was the first song I put out as Wildwood in 2017, and it just got picked up to be on a Spotify editorial playlist, and mm. it stayed on there for five years. So that's why it's done wow. so well. It's, wow. again, just kind of random and luck. And I think there are other songs of mine that are much better songs. Sorry, Brett. <laughs> he probably agrees, too. <laughs> but there, I mean, it's a cool song. It's a cool track. But there are so many other better written, better produced songs that don't have that kind of volume of streams. So, so much of it is just... Random. I want to make sure we're clear on this. So you're saying it was on a Spotify curated playlist. Yes. It wasn't just some random user. Correct. It's, it's a cool and song. it's still there. It's on a playlist called Femme Fatale. Mm. It's a bunch of like dark, moody female songs. And um, I've just been so lucky that they've kept it on for five years. And a lot of people discover the music that way. And yeah. then they do add it to their playlists. And then it just kind of grows from that. Or was it random that they found it? Or did you do some kind of something behind the scenes to get it in front of a Spotify playlist? Curator? I was on a label at the time. And so my label pushed it to okay. a curator and they okay. really liked it. And okay. I just got lucky that somebody somewhere in high places liked it. Nice. Nice. Well, speaking of recent releases, I mentioned in the intro that you also released a single in May, but 13 months ago, you actually released an EP. What should the audience know about that project? I did. The EP that came out in fall of 2021 was called The Woods. And spoiler alert, there's an EP coming out this fall called The Wild Side. And as you might have heard, my artist name is Wildwood. So this is all going to lead into a, a larger album called Wildwood. And we'll have side A, The Wild Side, and side B, The Woods, kind of playing on the name Wildwood. Um, so The Woods was uh, five songs that were a little bit more stripped down and acoustic and took me back to my roots, which is the music of the hills of Appalachia. But who did you work on that with? Because I'm still stuck in California. With, yeah. <laughs> and so how were you working with someone that was in L.A.? And then is he again the one that you did the EP with last year? And if not, you know, just that's all a great those, question. Sort through all that. That's a great question. So Collateral, uh, Brett and I wrote that, but I just happened to be in L.A. on a songwriting trip. Mm. So I wasn't there doing anything but just writing songs. Okay. So when he and I wrote that, it was just me and him, our voices and a guitar. So you just you just recorded that with him. You didn't. I'm no, sorry. I just you just wrote, wrote it, it with mm -hmm. him. You didn't record out there, right? Okay. So okay. all of my recording I do in Nashville, um, and I'm so lucky to be married to my producer and my best friend. And uh. he, uh, his name is Brandon Metcalf. He and I do all of the production together in his studio in East Nashville. Okay. And the woods actually uh, was recorded during the pandemic, and we did a lot of it in a cabin in Hilton's, Virginia, a tiny little mountain town where wow. um, a lot of country music history was. Made. If anybody watched the Ken Burns documentary, they know Hilton's and that area around Bristol. But my um, late uncle um, had built a cabin there in the 70s. And my aunt, who still survives, um, let us go there for a month. And we actually recorded most of the album there. So there's gear already there or your husband? We brought, brought all the gear okay. and we set okay. up. It's just a little cabin. And we set up by the fireplace in the um, living room. And there was a stained glass piece that my aunt and uncle had up there with a lighthouse on it that I always remembered as a kid. And I looked at that the whole time that I recorded. So. Oh, my gosh. How cool is that? It was really, really special. So all the vocals were done in that cabin. And then some of the production was done there. And some of it we uh, did in Nashville with musicians and brought them into the studio there. You're almost reading my mind because I was going to ask you, I'm surprised to some extent, not largely, but I'm surprised to some extent when I have a guest that will say, I play guitar, but I leave it to the pros to when I'm actually doing a recording. So do you play guitar on your own recordings or do you say, I'll let someone else who's better than me sit in and do that? I usually hire a session player because they're so phenomenal. And in particular, shout out um, to the guys that played on my record, um, 
they're just so talented and they come up with parts that you just wouldn't have thought of on your own. So usually for me, I sing all my background vocals. So I love to create background vocal arrangements that I was a choir kid growing up and Uh that's really where I thrive. And then I usually play most of my string arrangements. So violin and viola and then keyboard pads. I play most of the time, all my keyboard parts, piano parts and very occasionally will I play a guitar part? What's funny about that? We're talking about Moonrise. I played the guitar part on Moonrise, (laughs) but I very rarely play the guitar because there's just way better players out there. In particular, there's a guy named Tim Galloway who just played like almost everything on my record. He's so good. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. I always enjoy the opportunity to do interviews for the show in person. It's great to be able to see the guest right next to or across from me instead of just hearing them calling in through phone or Skype. And it's great to be able to record on location with the Vocaster 2 that Focusrite launched in June. If you're doing anything in the audio world, music, or in this case, podcasting, surely you know the Focusrite name. I'm grateful to them for sponsoring Now Hear This Entertainment, and I'm grateful that they had the foresight to develop an audio interface specifically for, well, I'm going to say podcasting, but those of you who are streamers, say maybe on Twitch, and even those of you doing voiceovers, the Vocaster is for you as well. I did an unboxing video on YouTube when I got this, so the one I have is the Vocaster 2, which simply means that, as Anne and I are doing, two microphones can be connected to it and two pairs of headphones as well. Take a look at the many features and benefits and determine which one is best for what you're doing, meaning the Vocaster 1 or the Vocaster 2. There is a link in the description of that unboxing video on YouTube, but you can also go find out more by clicking or tapping on the Vocaster ad on my podcast website, nhte.net. The ad is in the right-hand column if you're on desktop or scroll way down below the social media logos if you're on mobile. The ad says, tell the world, and it will take you over to more information from the Focusrite website on this powerful new audio interface. And I could have made the intro even longer, but I knew that we'd get into this during our conversation. So let's fill the audience in, especially those who are just being introduced to you for the first time about the fascinating family tree that you are a part of. I grew up a part of the Carter family, um, which was originally AP Carter and Maybell and Sarah Carter. And they were known as one of the first families of country music in the 1920s and 30s. They came out of that little town, Hilton's, Virginia. And my connection to them is that AP Carter's brother uh, was a guy named Jim Carter, and he's my great grandfather. So AP Carter was a great uncle of mine and Maybell and Sarah by marriage. And um, Maybell, there was a little bit of like, cousins, uh, married cousins. (laughs) Um, so Maybell ended up marrying another brother of Jim and AP's Ezra Carter. So by her dad, I'm also a cousin of June Carter cash. And when I was young, I was lucky enough to know her and Johnny cash. And I got to even play violin for them when I was like, 10 years old. Wow. <laughs> uh, there's a really funny picture of, I, I was taking classical music lessons at the time and we we're on the front porch of their home in Hilton's Virginia and Johnny Cash is holding my Suzuki music book music for me as I play them like my latest piece I'm working on. Oh my gosh. It's a really humbling moment. <laughs> and folks, I was fortunate enough to have as a guest on the show, Anna Christina Cash. Yeah. John Carter's wife. Yeah. Uh, so I will put a link on the show page for Anne's episode on nhte.net to that episode so you can go back and listen to the conversation that the two of us had. And 
in talking about being a descendant of the Carter family, there's actually a connection there to the artist name that you mentioned that you had been going by. Yeah, I uh, started my career as Ann Buckle, which is my given name, and a few years in, um, morphed into the stage name Wildwood, which was a way to honor my family um, in their song, The Wildwood Flower. And that's what music has been out as under the last few years. And all my social media handles are She Is Wildwood, if you guys want to find me. <laughs> but that's going to be changing? Yeah, we're in the process of going back toward Ann Buckle, um, but right now kind of out there is both. So Ann Buckle is your maiden name? Yes. Okay. It is. Because I was trying to sort through all that, and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. She's married because... to this other guy yeah. named Metcalf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's tricky. We were talking about off air when you're an artist that releases under one name and then you want to change to something else. Just for anybody out there who's listening to our conversation that is an indie artist that is feeling the temptation to maybe change their name, I think you're going to say stick with what you've already been releasing music under. Yeah, it's tricky. I will say I had been releasing music as Ann Buckle and it was a little bit different uh, vibe-wise than what the Wildwood stuff became. I had kind of found myself as an artist over my first five years in Nashville and, um, Ann Buckle had released a lot of things that weren't that. And so, um, Wildwood kind of represented a departure in my sound and perhaps that new name and kind of starting fresh led to some of the success with the Spotify curation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's tricky, though, because it is hard on the tech side to get everything to merge together. Well, but I also wonder, with an abstract name, if you'll allow me, with yeah. an abstract name like Wildwood, if I was to be addressing you all this time as, so Wildwood, tell me, how about the fact that, because it was very recently that I had on Kelly Sherrod, but her stage name is Proteins of Magic. That's yeah. the name of her, her act. And to me, that's such a departure from a person's first and last name. Now, very recently, I had on Stefania Martinez, but Stefania, she goes by Tef. So it's like, well, Tef, you could hear Tef right. and Stefania. So to me, that wasn't a big departure. But if I was to talk to you and have to refer to you as Wildwood the whole time, did you find that at all to be the case as, as you went under that name? Was it awkward at all? I think a little bit, and that's probably why I'm leaning now toward maybe coming back toward my name. I think it's kind of like... I mean, I'm in nowhere her category, but a Lady Gaga, who's mm. Stephanie off camera. And you'll hear in interviews, she taught people call her Stephanie. Um, so similar yeah. to that. Um, but would you come on stage and say, hey, how you doing, everybody? My name is Wildwood. I'm going to play some music for you tonight. I would. Yeah, I would for a while. And you got used to it. Kind of. I think not fully, because that's why I'm about to uh, kind of morph back into Anne. Yeah. I think that the big thing for me in the last couple of years has been finding authentic voice. And I've always tried to be really authentic mm. in my songwriting. And one thing I've struggled with, especially these days is social media and being authentic on social media. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And this whole thing is kind of fake anyway. And like you're putting wow. what you want out there. And I think for me being Wildwood, it, it was just a little harder to find who authentically am I? And I kept coming back to this phrase. I just, Anne. I'm just, Anne. like, I'm not that cool. I'm kind of boring. Like I stay at home a lot. I don't go out a lot, you know, and that's who I am. And I just need to own who that person is and honor her. And so I think that's why I'm leaning back toward my name. Yeah, Because it sounds to me like what you're saying is when I was Wildwood, I was playing a role, playing a character. A character yeah. And then I'm not being myself. Right. And it was fully myself on my music, but in terms of the marketing and mm, the imagery, I was trying I to fit like 
this character. And again, with, with the goal of commercial success, but I think too, now my goals as a songwriter have also shifted and I just want to, again, find the most authentic voice and create art that is real. All right, folks, we're not even halfway through this episode, and I've already mentioned three past guests from Now Hear This Entertainment Interviews, and I had Peter Link on the show a while back, and if you enjoyed that conversation, then season three of Scattershot Symphony will pique your interest. It's called Rosemary and Time, and it's a 16-episode podcast musical. Think of it like a modern-day Christmas nativity story. God takes a look at today's world and really does not like what he sees, so he decides to send his old trusty angel Gabriel on a mission. The miracle tale takes place in the backcountry of Skeety, Oklahoma, population 139, about a backcountry girl, soon to be a woman, named Time Quinn, and she's soon to be the wife of the town's only preacher-slash-carpenter, the Reverend Josiah Washburn. One New York theater critic wrote, quote, The incredible Peter Link, along with Reagan Courtney and his merry band of very talented singers-slash-performers, have come up with a revolutionary retelling of the Christmas story via musical podcast. And if episode one is any indication, you are in for a treat. You're going to love it. End quote. Scattershot Symphony is available at watchfiremusic.com or your favorite podcasting app, with the exception of Spotify. So we're going to step back even further than changing over from Ann Buckle to Wildwood, never mind changing back, because what <laughs> your background... Everyone's like, who is this girl? She's so confusing. Well, and, and wait till you hear this, audience. This background is amazing, because you really took a non-traditional path. I did. Share with the audience about, say, pre-Nashville, meaning what you were doing, but then also, of course, what happened that resulted in you changing careers from all that to music. Yeah. As I mentioned, I grew up around a lot of musicians with the Carter family. And not only was it Johnny Cash and June, my two uncles, Bugs and Mike Cornette, had a recording studio in Bristol. They made albums. My Aunt Joy was a Bristol. gospel singer. Uh, theirs was on the Virginia side, um, but it, there were, they're literally on Moore street. So it's right across the street from the Tennessee okay. side. I ask you because <laughs> when I hear Bristol, I'm such a sports nut that I think of Bristol, Connecticut in the home of ESPN. Oh no, Bristol, Tennessee, so. Virginia, where the country music started. It's the birthplace of country music. In fact, there is a museum there, the birthplace of country music museum. And, um, it's really cool town where the original 1927, uh, Bristol sessions were that Ralph Pierre did. Um, so it's really the big bang of country music is what they call it, where it came from. <laughs> and um, that's where the Carter family was discovered. And Jimmy Rogers was discovered at those sessions and multiple other big acts. But yeah, Bristol, Virginia, and in one side of the street is Tennessee and one side's Virginia. So you can actually be in two places at once <laughs> if you stand across the lines of the road, which is fun to do. But I was around them, um, seeing them make music, watching them perform, totally fell in love with it. Started playing violin when I was six. One of my uncles gave me a violin and told my mom, get her in lessons. But my parents were high school teachers and not musical at all. Neither one sang, neither one did anything um, very creative or artistic. Um, and so I also was very pushed as a child to be academic and mm -hmm. do well in school and you're going to go to college. And it was just an expectation that I was going to get a degree and get a job. And 
Um, so I did go uh, to college at the University of Tennessee and I studied music education. And then I also studied international affairs because I had kind of had a love affair with learning French since I was 13 years old. And I knew hmm. that I wanted to study abroad in France. So I did that. And I spent six months in Paris in um, when I was 20 uh, at the Sorbonne. And then after that, I was kind of trying to decide, like, do I try to go into a music career? Do I teach music, you know, as a high school teacher or do I go into diplomacy? Cause maybe that's something I can do with my French. So mm. I had a couple of opportunities to work with the state department first in Washington, DC. And then that turned into an opportunity at the U S embassy in Paris. Oh my gosh. And it was there that I actually realized I wanted to do music because, <laughs> um, we brought over a bunch of different American cultural acts to the embassy to mm. help create connections with the French people. And one of the people we brought was Will Smith that summer. And, Everybody went wild for him. And it was a moment that I realized, you know what? The real diplomacy, the real human connection happens through art. Mm. I mean, these people in the political position certainly facilitate it, but I want to be the artist creating that. And that's when I kind of decided I'm going all in on music. But I um, had already also accepted um, a spot in a master's program at Harvard. And so I went there and got a master's of education and arts education. Oh my gosh. Then I moved to Nashville. So I was 24, which is much older than most people began their music careers, but had two, three degrees under my belt. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that story because a lot of times when I go and speak to college classes, I will say, take an internship sometimes just to find out that that's not that you what you want to do, do. instead of going yeah. through your four years of college you get your degree and then you start working in your field and you're like oh man this yep. isn't really not that great after all so i say take an internship just to find out if it's really what you want to do or yeah. not and so it's unfortunate that you went such a long way into it but ultimately it resulted in you finding out this is not what i want to do i'm glad i did go into it because it was really fun i mean all of it was so fun it was fun to get to experience that life even for a short period of time um i love traveling and to this day i try to get to a new country every year i went back to france this summer for three weeks just to work on my language and um it's just a huge passion of mine and all that stuff fuels the creative ideas as well so I don't regret any of it, but I was definitely a late bloomer to the Nashville scene. If I could conjure (laughs) up those four years of French that I took in high school, I would start talking (laughs) French with you right now. But A, yours would be better than mine. And B, we'd lose like 85% of the audience. (laughs) (laughs) If we didn't already lose them. Hopefully hopefully they're still there with us. (laughs) Well, there's another aspect of your background that I'd love to hear about. I introduced you as a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. And with the possible exception of Nelson Montana who has been on the show twice, and he plays 11 different instruments. Usually, I'll interview someone who's a multi-instrumentalist, and it ends up being guitar and piano, which that's fine. That's great. But, Anne, I think you're going to tell me that you can match Nelson Montana and are in double digits with the number of instruments that you play also. Yes. How how many do you play and which ones and um, and how and why? Yeah. (laughs) It started with violin, like I mentioned. That was just kind of given to me as a kid. Um, so I started playing that and then I always wanted to play piano. So I kind of self-taught and then took some lessons in middle school and then got a guitar in high school. I was always in choir, um, started writing songs in high school. And then in college, being a music major, we did have to learn a lot of instruments. So I learned cello and a little clarinet, not good at clarinet. And then since I've been in Nashville, I've picked up banjo, mandolin, viola, ukulele, that's nine so far. So not quite double digits, maybe, but wow, maybe one day I'll pick up upright bass or something. 
but all the stringed instruments are kind of the same. So you, you, got you were talking days. before about some of the stuff that you will play when you, when you record music. Yeah. But if someone went to see you, I'm going to say in Nashville, because yeah. obviously you're not going to come to Pensacola beach and bring nine different instruments with you, but would they see you playing multiple instruments throughout your show? Sometimes I, I like, if it's a show that's just me, I'll like to switch between keyboard and guitar to mm-hmm. kind of keep it interesting. And I like to sneak in violin if I can have another player on stage with me. But violins for me is really hard to sing and play at the same time. Yeah. So it's kind of got to just be a solo. You can get a harmonica. I could. Hey, I do play that. Why do you hate the drums, by the way, that you're not sitting down? I don't have good rhythm. I don't have good rhythm. You know, it's no, I'll leave that to my husband and his programming. Oh, his programming. Okay. I was going to say, does he play the drums? He plays a little, but he's got a really great ear. He had a career as a DJ before he um, got into production and the whole business side of music. And so he just has a great um, sense of rhythm. But was, I'm I'm kind of joking, but in all seriousness, we're up to something like eight or nine here so far that, that you, so is it a case of, I stick with what I'm really good at, or is it, how do you decide in a recording session, yeah. for example, you know, like, no, I'll, I'll play the violin on, on this song myself. We don't need to get someone. How do you decide which ones? That's a great question. I always just try to serve the song as best I can. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Collateral, the string arrangement was done by a friend of mine, Mark Evitz, who is a film score arranger. And he just has a different skill set than me. Whereas Moonrise, I played the strings in that track. So sometimes I might give something a try and it's just not quite what I want or it's Mm. not fitting the song as well as I hope. So I'll bring in another player and sometimes we don't use it. Sometimes we'll be like, okay, I don't really like what he added or what she added. Mm. And other times we love it. And so, um, there's another song that I ended up hiring Mark for called secrets. It's an older song of mine. And he played this incredible string arrangement that I would have never thought of. And it just makes the song. Um, on the flip side, I have a song called Shattered that I played the strings on and I love what I did. So I didn't need to hire anybody. So it just kind of depends on the song and what comes out when I try to create on it. Sometimes when you write the song and you're adding instruments, you're too in it mm. and it helps to have an outside perspective mm-hmm, come mm-hmm. and add exactly what it needs. And I loved that you started the answer with, I just want to serve the song yeah. best. Yeah. But you know, there's something that you said in there that brings up an interesting question which amazes me when I'm more than 450 episodes in and something can come up that like, really, you haven't talked about that in eight and a half years. <laughs> but a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Jeff Middleton, songwriter in Nashville, yeah. and he said something that made me think of, ooh, what happens when you're in a writing session and it's like you brought the idea in and now somebody wants to take it somewhere that you're really not that crazy about. And so what you just said made me think of something similar, which is, all of a sudden you bring a player in and you want him or her to do the insert instrument here on this particular track. And then he or she records it, they leave. And then over the course of a day a two or two or a week, you go, uh, you know what? I, I, I don't think I want to use that. Yep. Like I'm just going to do it myself. Or maybe there's not going to be any violin in the exactly. song after all. So that person is going to follow up with you at some point and go, Hey, let me know when that comes out, you know, cause I want to, <laughs> and then you're like, I actually don't Took out your part. use it. You know, one thing that both my husband and I, I feel like have as a strength is we're really big into communication and we're really honest with people. So I feel like we just tell people, oh, we didn't use that. We didn't need it after all. And we certainly pay people, 
you know, for their time. But is that common you know, enough in Nashville that a player will be like, oh, that's too bad. Okay, well, you know, if you need me again, or most is, of these or is session players, well, the session going, players that we're Why? working with, they're doing two sessions a day, which is probably six hours a day, sometimes three a day, nine hours of songs. So they're putting out such a high volume of material that half the time, I don't even think they remember what they played on because mm-hmm. they're just doing so much. Mm-hmm. So I really don't think it hurts their feelings. if they, And they know that everyone's just trying to serve the song as best they can. Uh, okay. I will say it, you're, you're right with the songwriter thing because I've had that happen a lot where I bring in an idea, it gets taken a different direction and I'm like, man, that just isn't where I wanted it. And I've taken the idea back. And sometimes I have told the writer, hey, Hey, I went a different direction just so you know you're not a writer on this and um that actually happened with Shattered bringing up that song again but I <laughs> had started the song pretty much finished it brought in another writer just to see if we got anything different I didn't really like the new direction it took it was wow. still a good song wow. but it was just different and then I told her like the next day I texted her hey I think I'm gonna stick with the original idea I had just so you know and she texted you back and said, never text me again. <laughs> no, we just hung out the other day, actually. <laughs> so those are really good questions. Really interesting good, to think about good. the processes like that happen behind the scenes. Good. I will take that as a compliment. Yeah. Thank you. I'm joined today on location in the Florida Panhandle at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival by singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, Ann Buckle. Visit her official website at sheiswildwood.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on her website, do check out the cool merch she has in the store section of the website. And then at the very bottom of sheiswildwood.com, you will find logos to get to Anne's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There is a videos entry in the website menu where you can see some of what she has released that way right on the website. Or, of course, click on one of them to open through her official YouTube channel. There are also logos at the bottom of her website to get Anne's music from Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud, all three of which you can hear this show on. You will also want to use the Shows option on Anne's website to see where and when you can go see her perform live, including the Bluebird Cafe again on November 20th. As I sit here with Anne, I am wearing the headphones that I probably would have had to otherwise give up on because they had gotten to the point where the pleather, as I like to call it, was peeling and it would get left behind, stuck to my ear. Some flakes would fall off the headphones onto my shirt. In June, when I was at the NAM show in Anaheim, I took them out of my backpack and showed them to the guys from Deconi Audio and they had a solution, replacement ear pads. What I also got out of it was comfort, too, which is nice when you're in a long recording or editing or even gaming session. I did an unboxing video for my YouTube channel that I hope that you've seen by now. Perhaps best of all is that these are specific to whichever brand and model headphones you have. On my podcast website, nhte.net, look for the Deconi Audio logo and tap or click on that to go to their website and find the replacement pads specific to your headphones. That Tacony Audio logo is in the right-hand column of nhte.net if you're on desktop, or just scroll way down past the social media logos if you're on mobile. Now, and during the pandemic, lots and lots and lots of artists got on Instagram Live or Facebook Live or Twitch or some similar platform and did live stream performances from home. You, however pivoted in a manner related to songwriting, which is what we were just talking about, songwriting. Share with the audience what I'm referring to. Yeah, as everybody can imagine, for musicians, our work just disappeared overnight with the pandemic starting and 
for me, it, it looked like a lot of things. It was performances. It was playing for other bands and people as fiddle player, background vocalist. It was in-person songwriting sessions. I do a lot of teaching in Nashville, especially with the Country Music Hall of Fame, doing songwriting sessions with school groups. All of that went away overnight. And so a couple of weeks into the pandemic, I got an email from Airbnb Experiences, which I had been on their in-person experiences in Nashville, where if you guys didn't know, um, if when you go to a city, you can look up the experiences that they have and basically do things with locals. So maybe here in Pensacola, you go paddleboarding with a local or riding yeah, bikes with a local. And that. it's really cool. There's cooking classes. There's all kinds of stuff. And Airbnb launched a virtual platform and I got on it really fast. And I guess I was one of the first ones. So they started promoting it and giving me all this like airtime on their social media pages and it took off and it became my full-time work for basically all of the rest of 2020 into 2021. And I think I've done about 300 sessions now writing songs with people online. And, um, it started with one-on-one clients and then it turned into a lot of companies were really liking the idea of doing something for team building. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with Whataburger, Accenture, Match.com, um, Hotjar. I can just name so many companies and full circle moment. I got um, a call from actually a UT Knoxville alum who was working at the U.S. Embassy in Columbia, mm. and he was like, "We have this um, like youth leadership program that usually does a exchange in the United States, and they're not going to get to go this year. Mm-hmm. We're trying to put together some online activities. Could we do your songwriting session?" So I ended up facilitating a songwriting <laughs> session for twenty Colombian teenagers on Zoom, and it was the most That's amazing so cool. moment of wow! Like intern me would be so proud of myself for (laughs) doing the art that I always believed in as diplomacy. Um, so it's been really great. And now that we're back into real life situations and things like this festival, um, I'm trying to kind of balance how much of that, uh, songwriting work I'm doing with people just for fun or for team building and Mm. also my own performing and my own songwriting sessions for recording. So it sounds like what you described with the Airbnb experience, because as you started to unfold that answer i'm thinking oh is she teaching people how to songwrite or was she writing songs with them and i convinced myself well it's both it's both you have to teach them along the way towards writing a song together and the sessions that i do are 90 minutes we write a complete song in that time on whatever topic the person wants and for example the whataburger one was really fun it was their executive team and they wrote a song about their values and their hook Uh, was we make burgers too so it was like all these things that they are and we make burgers too um But then sometimes songs are just about, you know, a breakup or um, depression that you're going through or um, the Christmas season or people write about all kinds of things. And the most fun thing about um, the online experiences was working with people all over the world. I Mm. had tons of clients from India and Mm. from Europe and from Australia. And we would be on these crazy time zone differences where it was 7 a.m. my time and like 9 (laughs) p.m. their time. And it was just really fun to get to bring a little bit of Nashville to all these people. So I actually didn't really do much live streaming of performing cause I was so busy yeah. creating songs with people. And in a time when a lot of people felt isolated and lonely, I was actually more connected than ever. So do you still offer that? And if so, is it through Airbnb or is it through sheiswildwood.com? I do both. So Airbnb, um, you can find my experience. I think it's called um, Songwriting with a Nashville Musician. But if you just Google my name and Airbnb, it'll come up. Mm -hmm. And um, also through my website, you can send me a message if you're interested. And I I still do them um, a couple times a month with people in person and online. That's so cool. Speaking of songwriting, I mentioned back in the intro that you have written for lots of other artists. 
What I didn't say is who some of them are. For example, David Archuleta from American Idol and Marissa McKay, who is on America's Got Talent and others. Yeah, I've written a lot of songs with a lot of people and a few of them. I'm lucky to have cuts is what they're called when you get um, an artist that cuts your song. And um, I'm really proud of the song cuts that I have and hopefully we'll have more in the future. And those artists. And again, so let's collaborate here on some education for the audience, because when I had Terry Joe Box on, that was face to face. We were at the Lake Martin Songwriters Festival. The light bulb kind of went on for me that I told her, I said, you know, you and I know the lingo, but there's some people out there that don't know what a cut is. And so she was explaining things like that. But so, you know, David Archuleta, Marissa McKay, these are people that you might not have even met. They probably are not even in Nashville. In actually all of my cases, I have met them and they are in Nashville. So I think for a lot of the songwriters that are more established or like the the older generations, especially uh, songwriting in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you could write a song and then a, a person in a job called a song plugger would literally plug the song to managers, to record labels, for artists. But because of the digitization of the music industry, there's a lot less revenue all around. So what's happened is pretty much all artists are also writing on the songs now. So if you want to have a shot at having a song with an artist, you have to write with them. It's not always the case, but especially for up-and-coming writers that aren't like Lori McKenna's or Liz Rose's of the world, you're probably not going to get your song heard by anybody or plugged by anybody in 2022. But I'm glad that you brought up song pluggers because that never comes up on this show. And so I want you to explain to the audience the difference between a song plugger and a publishing company because I think we have heard guests on this show talk about publishing companies and I think the general consensus out there is, oh, so if you have a publishing company, that's how your song is going to get out. So just walk people through all that. And I think it is, especially nowadays, having the publishing company is very helpful because they own a piece of what you're writing. So they have a vested interest in getting your songs cut. But more what publishing companies are doing is getting you in the room with the artists to write the songs that then get recorded. So I haven't had, well, I had one song that I wrote alone that did get taken by a song plugger, plugged to an artist and recorded. And that song was called Find Love, recorded by Larissa Lundstrom. But that's the only one. All my other cuts have been with the artists themselves, and then they record them. And that's kind of the path that I'm seeing more and more of. I don't have too many friends. I mean, I know the legends, like Lori McKenna wrote Humble and Kind and then texted it to Tim McGraw. Hey, what do you think <laughs> about this? But she had that kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, so... If you don't have that relationship with an artist, your best shot to get a song cut by an artist is to write it with them. Do you do much songwriting by yourself or are you always just co-writing? I almost always write by myself. Actually, really? yes, really? especially the last few years. I think what happened, as we mentioned, I would bring ideas into the room. It's against the law, though. You live in Nashville. I know. It's the co-writing <laughs> town. I've co-wrote a lot. I've been in Nashville for 10 years. This is my 10th year. And I co-wrote a lot the first five, six years. And... What started to happen as I got my voice a lot more as an artist was these songs just were going directions that weren't what I was hearing in my head. And even though co-writing is great because it gives you other ideas and it sometimes it makes the process happen faster, I was realizing I was disappointed after a mm. lot of sessions. And so 
I kind of just started spending more time writing by myself. So a lot of my new songs coming out on this album are solo rights. I love this. I love this. We are, this is like so full circle on so many <laughs> things because if you go back to the Wildwood thing and I just didn't feel like I was being myself, right? So now you're writing songs with other people just for the sake of writing songs with other people. I mean, granted, there's other benefits, the connections, blah, Lots blah, blah. Lots of benefits. But I'm hearing that theme again. And so just, I mean, this, this interview is amazing the way this is just kind of organically, like everything is being tied together, you know, and I'd said that jokingly, but I think that's what happens is people move to Nashville and they go, oh, I guess I have to write. And, and it's not unlike the experience of going and working for the state department and figuring out like, this isn't what I want to do. Right. So here in our these co-writing sessions to figure out this isn't what I want to do. Like, I'm just going to write this stuff by myself and be my authentic self. Yeah. And I do enjoy co-writing, especially if it's with an artist that I know is looking for material. Um, like David Archuleta, the song that he recorded of ours is called, I know he lives. And we were in that session writing for him. And I love that because you play this supporting role, just kind of hoping that the artist is going to love the song Mm. and cut it. And it's so fun to have your words and your melodies sung by somebody with such an incredible voice. Um, but for me and my music, I'm just really excited about writing alone right now and have been for three or four years. That's good. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) There are two places you seem to play on a regular basis, yet very different environments. (laughs) Of course, one is the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, but the other is the Hard Rock in Cincinnati, Ohio. In the case of the latter, (laughs) how slash why do you get repeat bookings there? But then also, can you talk about how different it is preparing to play at the Bluebird versus preparing to perform at the Hard Rock? Yeah, with uh, the Bluebird is an original music venue, and I just get to play new songs there, old songs, and I love the Bluebird. I love the other writers you get to meet, and the staff there are wonderful. You still get nervous there, though? I still get nervous every single time. I just had a round there this summer, and I was so nervous. And and the next time I come to Nashville, you're going to get me in there, right? Because sure. all the times I go back and forth to it's Nashville, always I've never been booked. there. I've you... never even I've never even tried, just because I just know it's fully booked, and yeah. I know one or two people. I mean. I know uh, she was on the show, Barbara Cloyd, who runs yeah. the open mic, but it's like, I don't want to go see open mic. And somebody else, shame on me, I can't remember who it was. Somebody told me, next time you come to Nashville, you want to go to the Bluebird, just let me know. Oh, and that's so now nice. It's, now it's going to be my new friend, of, Ann Buckle. No, I don't of... <laughs> have that kind of pull. But I will say, when you're performing, you usually get two guests. So uh, okay. if you came for my show, I have two guest spots that I'd happily give to you and Wendy. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Anyhow, um, but the hard rock, it, yeah. it's actually, I don't play the, there for my music. I've been hired as a fiddle player. So, um, I've been playing with a band called wildfire mm. and I play with them and it's a ball cause secret fun fact about me. I love to play Texas Hold'em and, um, any gig that gets me to a casino <laughs> is a gig for me. All right. We need to figure out a way to get you down to the hard rock in Tampa. Please. I would love and, to go there. Okay. Seminole. I want to go okay. to that one. Yeah. Okay. But how do you get hooked up with a band that plays in Cincinnati, Ohio? Through, you know, random little Nashville connections. I uh, randomly got um, in with that band because of a friend who's a fiddle player. There's kind of the circle of female fiddle players in Nashville that, like, send each other work. And I think you're going to be talking Mm. to Caitlin Evanson one of these days soon. She's a friend of mine who's also a female fiddle player. And we send each other work. And so it just was random texts from this band like hey we got your name from so and so and can you like audition for us and play these gigs for us so i've been doing a bunch of dates with them this year it's been really fun and audience you know what i'm going to say right how much i love when i hear people talk about rehearsing because i'm amazed 
at people who don't rehearse. And so I'm that much more impressed, especially when it's a pro like Ann Buckle, who's like, what does she need to rehearse for? She's a pro. And so I love hearing that this band said, can you audition for us? Oh, yeah. You, you know, it's to like audition. there's going to be auditions. We're going to have rehearsals like this is a hard rock. This is a cool gig. We don't want to blow it. And most of the time, yeah, you, you, most of the time there's auditions for things. And um, a lot of times you don't hear back, too. It's not like you get everyone. So <laughs> I still wait I just audition. I'm like, I just auditioned for something in August and I didn't hear back. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a really cool gig. But <laughs> sorry to be the one to make you remember. That. That's OK. That's OK. I, it was a good audition. I'm uh, glad I took it. Since we're talking about live performances, I would be remiss if I didn't have you talk about being here at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival, doing some education, performing, seeing some of your colleagues. I was going to say possibly some co-writing, but, and, and, you know, even that thing, uh, called, uh, the beach. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned all those activities. Cause I got here at 10 30 PM last night and I've already done all of those things. And it's only like 4 PM right now. All right. Wait a minute. Let's see. Education. Yep. Performing. I, this morning, Jerry Vandiver and I did two school programs. So we went to, um, Gulf breeze middle school and did a songwriting program with 65 kids in the band, wrote a song about Halloween. And then we went to Pensacola, beach elementary school and wrote with about 40 kids a song about their school and then um he and caitlin and i got lunch and we started writing a song during lunch which started as a joke but then actually we were pen and paper out writing lyrics and then at flounders here in pensacola a bird ate my shirt just have to note that um we were trying to get a photo with a beautiful parrot at the entrance and it like started chewing my shirt and we thought we were gonna have to take my shirt off Anyway, and then we went to the beach, and now I'm here. So I have done a lot of the things you mentioned already. And the already. performing part you did and at we the have, schools. Yeah, we have a performance tonight, actually. We have a benefit concert for the Pace School, which we will be doing an education program at tomorrow morning. And if this was a video podcast, people, because otherwise they're like, oh, yeah, he's just lying. She really does have her bathing suit on. I have on my bathing right suit on underneath. with the shirt that says, life is swell. So I'm very <laughs> beach ready right now. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. New EP coming soon. This fall, I'm holding up air quotes. When specifically, (laughs) how many songs, what's the title, who did you work with on it? What details can you share about it? I know you already answered one or two of those questions, but it it doesn't hurt to repeat. Collateral is the first single off of it. So it's going to be songs of that vibe. So whereas the woods was acoustic and kind of chill, the wild side is pop and electric and um, just a lot more production on it. So did it with my husband, Brandon Metcalf. We hired a bunch of amazing players to be part of the um, musical textures as well. And it's the wild side. The next single off of it is called Appalachian Dream, and it's coming in a few weeks. And I'm hoping that the whole EP will be out in the end of November. Okay, okay. Because so when no I was firm date, when I was looking at all this information, I'm like, this fall. Aren't we really in fall right now? So I thought I got to ask her when specifically because <laughs> it's a it's a long season. Some, and my hope is say. that the full album Wildwood, which is 17 songs, um, will be what? out in end of January. That's the hope. What? But it, there's no firm date yet, so don't wow. hold me to it. So wait a minute. So is the album a combination of last year's EP and this one? It is. So it'll roll in those 10 songs plus seven others. Hold my hand because I got in even later than you did last night. So I might still possibly be like one-tenth asleep. So I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the, the business strategy. You released the EP last year. You're about to release another one. Then you're going to put them together as an album. So walk me through that strategy the strategy is 
just completely uh, trying things just to see what works. And what this one's called is a waterfall release where you're releasing like a waterfall one song at a time till it kind of all turns into this big thing. And um, nowadays with playlisting being such an important part of reach and streaming, the more opportunities that you have to pitch for playlists. For mm. example, when you're an independent artist, you pitch a song one at a time on Spotify to their editors. You can't do more than one. So if you drop all 17 songs at once, you can only pick one of those songs to pitch. Uh, okay. So if okay. we're pitching one song every month or every couple of months, then you get a better chance to be noticed and looked at. And um, that's kind of been our strategy, whether it's right or wrong. Who knows? Well, we're just trying things. And I'm thinking from the consumer side, you're welcome. Those of you in the audience who are like, I'm not in the music business, Bruce. I just enjoy your show. Thank you. I'm thinking of them who are saying, well, then I'm just hearing this Ann Buckle girl for the first time and she sounds really cool and her music is good but I'll just buy the whole 17 song album. I'm going to skip both EPs. Yeah, you totally could. And the cool thing about the album is it's going to be vinyl and I've never wow. put out vinyl. I'm very excited. That's always been a dream of mine. So it'll be a side A, the wild side, side B, the woods, and it'll have all these songs wrapped in. So I love if people don't listen to digital and just wait for the vinyl, that'd be really exciting. That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. Well, and speaking of her original music, we're going to close today with another one of Anne's original songs, one called Break Me. And before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. I'm also laughing at myself saying I don't co-write anymore because both Collateral <laughs> and Break Me are co-written songs. <laughs> um, but Appalachian Dream, my next song is a solo write. All the other songs on the EP, four of the five are solo writes. But these anyway, but Break Me is a song I wrote with Rachel Loy, who is a badass bass player, music producer, songwriter in Nashville. And um my husband had just... Um, Is she related to Colleen Loy? I don't think so. Okay. But Sorry I to don't interrupt. Know. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't know if they're related. Um, but the song came about on a day that was a really hard time for me because my husband had had a, um, a separate company from his music business that by no fault of his own, he lost. And at the time, there were lawyers kind of after him. They were threatening to um, tear down his recording studio mm. and take all of the materials out of it. And it was just a really, really hard time. And I came into our writing session just really down. And I was like, Rachel, I, going back to this authentic thing, I was like, I got to be honest. I'm having a bad day. <laughs> this has been a bad week. My husband's just going through a really hard time. I feel like they're about to swing a wrecking ball into his studio. Mm. And she just grabbed her guitar and was like, swing your wrecking ball. And then we just like took that and ran with it. And for her, it turned into more of a song about the music industry and being a woman in the music industry and mm. the struggles that that has and how people try to tear you down. And, and when she first started having kids, people wrote her off and were like, you're never mm. going to get work in this town. And they said awful things to her. Wow. And so for me, it was kind of this song about my husband and her experience. And for her, as we were writing it, it was the song about her journey. And I think for me now, it's just a song about any hard time that... I'm going through and just kind of telling myself, like, you got this, you're strong, and, like, they're not going to break you. Okay, follow me on this, because I fear that this is going to be, like, this obnoxiously long follow-up. So follow <laughs> follow where I'm going with okay, this. Okay, here we go, Bruce. Okay, so you walk into a right, you got this real heavy stuff that, that you Emotions. Yeah. And so you walk in there, and probably 98.1 out of 100 writers in Nashville will be like, yeah, bring it. We're vulnerable. We're songwriters. We write about anything and everything. Like that's where the best songs come from. But the 1.9 are going to be the ones that are going to go, this is now I'm you. Now I'm Anne walking in and saying like, this is not a good time. Like, oh my gosh, like 
I'm putting words in your mouth, but like I borderline was going to cancel this right today. Like this is how serious this is. Don't pick up your guitar and start making a song about this. Like I just need a <laughs> hug. I need to cry. Like I'm ready to walk out the door and say, I just wanted to politely cancel in person. So that's really funny. Walk me through that. I think for me, it's not that experience because songwriting has always been and still is therapy for me. Mm -hmm. It's how I process it's journaling. And I think for a lot of people who are into songwriting, that's their same experience. So we kind of openly put it out there and writing the words and getting it out is kind of like journaling and it's like getting those emotions out of you. So I welcomed it and I loved that she was listening to me so intently that she picked up on that and started singing a song that mm. just perfectly felt like the emotions. So is it a case of like, yeah, if I was absolutely like so over the top emotional, I would have just canceled the right. I wouldn't put myself. I think in a, so. Yeah. yeah. And I was good enough. And the thing is, I one thing that musicians are known for <laughs> notoriously is not showing up and canceling and being kind of flaky and creatives <laughs> are known for that. Right. And I think I used to be more that way. And I've had a lot of people cancel on me and not commit to me for things. And it really has hurt. And so I've tried over the last several years to be a woman of my word. And if I commit to something, I'm going to show up. And even if I don't feel great, I'm going to show up and I'll just be honest with her. Hey, I'm having a hard time. Love it. If I'm not smiling, this is why if I start crying, this is why. And we got this great song out of it. And this has been one of my favorite songs that, that we have. And it's not anything fancy. The production's real simple, but it's just really true. How cool is this girl, audience? <laughs> How cool is she? Huh? How cool is she? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This has been really fun to squeeze in an interview between beach time and key lime pie. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for squeezing in interview time between beach time and key lime pie. It was great to meet you, though. Thank you for, you for coming on Now Hear This Entertainment. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, Ann Buckle. Do visit her official website at sheiswildwood.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Remember to look for the store option at the top of her website for a variety of cool merchandise that she has. And then at the bottom of her website, look for the social media icons and act accordingly. I have followed Anne on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm sure that she would appreciate you doing the same. On sheiswildwood.com, there's an entry in the site menu that says videos. Use that to watch some of what she has online right there, or use the option to open them instead through YouTube, and then subscribe to her channel and watch and like the videos that she has on her YouTube channel. For that matter, tell Anne you heard her and her music, and now hear this entertainment. You heard her talking about performing at the Bluebird, the Hard Rock, here at the Songwriters Festival. Use the show's option at the top of her website to see where and when you can go see her perform live. And remember, gaining access to her original music is as easy as the iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud logos at the bottom of her website. I'm grateful to everyone who listens to the show each week. Hopefully you have hit the follow button on whatever podcast app you listen to now here this entertainment through. There might actually be a couple out there still with subscribe instead of follow. Either way, it is free. That's why they've been changing it and not saying subscribe anymore because people thought it cost to listen to podcasts. If you're not sure if you have done so, take a minute to double check that you are following, that you're subscribed, so that you don't miss any episodes and you automatically get the newest episode each week. That's going to do it for episode 453. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Ann Buckle. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Break Me. Sweet.
it's your love.